Thanks for joining us this week, and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and work. Let's get into this week's episode. Welcome to Mutuality Matters podcast, sponsored by CBE International. Our theme, Global Impact, Egalitarian Activism, and Human Flourishing, is co-hosted by Kim Dixon and myself, Mimi Haddad. Together, we bring you recorded interviews from pioneering egalitarian activists working in corners around the world, growing human flourishing through women's equality and Christian faith. As we interview leaders worldwide, the quality of our recordings often reflects their challenging circumstances, where access to reliable Wi-Fi and sound equipment is never a guarantee. But thank you all the same for leaning in to the wisdom of these skilled leaders. Today's guests are Ron and Arbutus Cider, both precious and faithful egalitarians with a terrific story to share. Arbutus worked as a teacher and later as a marriage and family counselor. She also served on CBE's board of directors. Ron Sider is a distinguished professor emeritus of theology, holistic ministry, and public policy at the Palmer Theological Seminary at Eastern University. Ron is president emeritus of Evangelicals for Social Action. He's published over 45 books, and his book, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger, was recognized by Christianity Today as one of the 100 most influential religious books of the 21st century. Join me in welcoming Ron in our Arbutus Cider. Well, welcome everyone to Global Impact, Egalitarian Activism, and Human Flourishing. These are your co-hosts, Mimi Haddad and... Kimberly Dixon. Yay, and we are here with Ron and our Arbutus Cider in their beautiful community of Lanes, Pennsylvania. Uh, so, Ron and Arbutus, thank you so much for being part of our podcast. Gladly. What have you both enjoyed? Let our listeners know most about retirement overall recently. What I think I enjoy most is the setting. We are sitting out here and looking over a beautiful small woods with a path all the way through it, a circle path. And especially in the fall now, it is absolutely gorgeous. I would agree. I would agree. It's breathtaking. Ron? Well, I didn't retire until um, the middle of 2019 when I was 79. Um, but uh, I am fully retired uh, now. I don't know that my life has changed uh, a lot. My cancer certainly uh, and my illness has knocked me out so that I'm, my energy is still not up to where it used to be. But um, uh, I'm working on my autobiography and um, uh, plugging away. Excellent. You look great. You both look wonderful. And this beautiful environment frames that beauty even more. So thank you for allowing us to interview. Arbutus and Ron, can you share some stories from your youth that led you to become strong advocates of women's equality? And let's start with you, Arbutus. 
what I think most inspired me and encouraged me on this path was the teacher I had in the last three years of elementary school in a eighth grade one room schoolhouse, which is where I taught after a while as well. But it it inspired me that the Mennonite past not pastor the the Mennonite principal who was the principal for all eight grades encouraged me after eighth eighth grade to go on to high school which had never been in my mind as even a possibility so having a teacher who encouraged all three of his eighth grade class he had all eight grades and we were three in the eighth grade he encouraged us to apply at least to go to high school Uh, there was a Mennonite high school in the city and it was a new amazing step for me I was the fourth child in a family of eight children but I was the first one who was given the opportunity to go to high school that for me was just one of the most um, wonderful things that happened in my life. Did that fit with the question? I don't know, but it sure was important to me. Because you love to learn. Oh, oh, I do love to learn. (laughs) And I haven't stopped yet. That's right. Education is so important to girls and women. You learned that quite early on. I did indeed. Ron? I think um, I started out with my mom and dad's relationship, which was soft patriarchy. Um, They loved each other dearly, but um, dad was clearly in charge. And uh, I think I carried that into our early marriage. Um, We loved each other dearly. And uh, that meant that, you know, a lot of the problems of patriarchy were not there, but I still assumed the soft patriarchy. And I think that the the first real change came with the Chicago Declaration in 1973, which uh, talked of mutual submission. Uh, and then in the next uh, couple of years, there were important meetings um, um, and uh, another meeting in 74 and another meeting in 75, and biblical feminism was very much a part of that. Um, The Evangelical Women's Caucus held their big meeting in Washington in 1975. I believe 300 or so people were there, our beauties went. She came back and said, "Um, you have to go with me the next time. We're going to grow together uh, on this. Uh, And I agreed uh, to that. And then Jubilee Fellowship in 1975 to 80 was very egalitarian uh, kind of community. So um, by the uh, end of that time, I was, you know, well along the way to being committed to um, uh, a full egalitarianism. I I sometimes say that uh, my theoretical commitment was ahead of my practice to some extent, but um, hopefully that's caught up. So, um, Arbutus, I was going to ask, um, I know you're a marriage and family counselor, and you're also a board member of CBE International. 
What motivates your profound support of women's equality as a biblical ideal? What motivates me is my relationship with Jesus Christ and the way in which he treated women when he was here. I love um, saying that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, and he is a constant companion. And equality is something that just fits so well with who he is. And, and so for me, the support of women's equality comes directly from Jesus. Thank you, Arbutus. I would yes, just add where he's the good news for women. Yes. I would just add that um, to strengthen what Arbutus said, uh, when you compare the way Jesus treated women with the general attitude of Jewish men uh, toward women, it is just a a radical difference to the point where uh, you really have to say Jesus is a feminist. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I, I could talk about a lot of Amen. those details. That's right. Well, what about the Chicago Declaration and the founding of ESA, Evangelicals for Social Action? Can you speak about their role in advancing gender equality? I, I think I've already said the basic uh, uh, things to be said about that. Uh, the declaration talks about mutual submission. Um, we went on to be very concerned about women's equality. I think that's been a part of um, uh, Evangelicals for Social Action, which has, which grew out of the Chicago Declaration, um, so that we've been committed to women's equality, I think, from the beginning. Um, it doesn't mean that uh, we always manage to practice <laughs> what we believed, but uh, we've been working on it um, uh, ever since then. I love that honesty of the knowing the truth, and it's a little bit harder to practice, and yet the awareness of that so that um, you can work on it. Right, right. We're in process, but not fully there yet. I grew up in a home that actually, in a, in a small denomination, that believed in complete sanctification. Uh, I tried to be sanctified many times, but it didn't quite work. <laughs> and uh, I realized there was still genuine carnality in me. So uh, I guess that applies to all kinds of things uh, that we believe theoretically, but uh, only grow into practicing. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, genuine mutuality is an example of that. Yes, indeed. Arbutus, what about you and your role on CBE's board and the trips you took with around the world with CBE and the women you met there? I mean, obviously you have a deep commitment to this project. I do, and certainly any opportunities I had to travel around the world deepened that commitment. Um, my more recent loss of long-term memory makes it hard for me to pull back details of that kind of thing. I can talk about the present more easily than the past, but it, uh, it was certainly fulfillment for me as a woman, as a wife, uh, to be able to travel with other women and to see what God is doing around the world.
Well, you've both invested your time, talent, and treasure in addressing the gender injustices in the U.S. And Arbutus, uh, uh, we got to this a bit with your travels, but can you speak to where we are now as Christians supporting women's equality and the distance that you have seen uh, traveled from well, and Juan, you spoke about this a little bit from when you were married to where we are today. I, I would just, while it's on my mind, like to give credit to my parents for allowing me as the fourth member in a family of eight children to be the first one to go to high school. Uh, my my teacher, or our teacher in this public uh, school, this eighth grade rural schoolhouse, uh, worked ad uh, adamantly to have the three graduating eighth graders. All women. All, yes, all girls, uh, to be able to go to high school and then to do whatever they wanted to do in life. Uh, so for parents and one particular teacher to advocate for us, was just amazingly important to me. And ever since that, I just like to be sure to encourage women. It's so good to know that it's not as hard as it was back then for women to do what, what men were able to do. So I'm, I'm very pleased with that. At the moment, I want to say this at some point, so I might as well do it now. I find myself in a role that more... Um, models my mother of being at home primarily and doing most of the housework myself because of Ron's illnesses and because Ron was not able to do um, <clears throat> the things that he used to do. So what, what, uh, what impresses me, two things. One, how easy it is to step back into a role of taking care of the house, taking care of meals and that kind of thing. At the same time, not resenting it because I know it's what Ron needs right now. So the mutuality we have shows itself in a variety of ways. And right now it shows itself in my having a more traditional role. That's also because of COVID, because there's not a lot I can do outside of the home. And sometimes I find myself um, resisting that role. But then I have to stop and say, okay, if you need something more, talk to Ron about it. We need to have this mutuality of um, being there for each other when it's necessary. And when I need some other outlets to be able to ask for that. Right. So what strikes me in what you're saying is, you know, it was phenomenal for you to be able to go to high school because that just wasn't happening for girls at the time that you were in eighth grade. And now we're to the point that I think that more women than men are going to college. And then that the mutuality in relationships between men and women in your own lives has transformed so that it depends on what season you're in and who does what. I was I had cancer 2019, 2020 as well. And my husband stepped in and did exactly what you're doing right now, Arbutus, for Ron. 
So it's just striking that great shift and change. And the importance of mutuality, the word. It's yes. Like, it strikes me too that egalitarians really have a lot of flexibility in their model of marriage. Mm-hmm. That you could go back and forth. There's mm-hmm. no role. There's only life to negotiate. Uh, and right. Right, and so you step in for each other, and that also reminds me of Christ mm-hmm. and his flexibility with people. Ron and, and Arbutus, you have a passion for the world. You've worked beside Christians in various communities globally. I've watched you reach out on their behalf to your community. And I'm wondering now, when you think about the world um, and, and you look at the injustices women face worldwide. What are you seeing in terms of trends, good trends, downtrends? What are your thoughts there, Ron? Well, I think that um, if you think over the last 50 or, or 60 years, we've made quite significant progress. Um, one has to distinguish between this country and that country. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, uh, Afghanistan now is different than not only a few years ago, but uh, different from um, um, the United States or Western Europe. Uh, but I think the trend has been toward more um, equality of women, uh, whether it's more women getting education or more women uh, being in the military or any number of, just in terms of medical doctors. You know, most medical doctors uh, 50 years ago were men. Uh, and uh, I suspect it's it's there, it's true there too, as it is in education generally, that probably more women are, right. are now in the training to be right. doctors. Uh, so, but I, I think um, the evangelical center, um, Christianity Today, University, Christian colleges and universities, you know, on and on. Um, They've moved uh, in a huge way in the last 40, 50 years. And um, uh, that's that's a strong major movement. And I think the conservative position is losing ground. Um, uh, It even uh, uh, kind of modifies things here and there as it uh, tries to maintain its position. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, Ron Arbutus, you are both people of the book of scripture, and we talk about these different um, ways of people looking at mutuality, but share with us what you see in scripture as the most clear and compelling message on women's shared leadership with men. And why does God care about women's equality so much? The last question is is perhaps the easier one. God cares about women's equality as much as men's because God created men and women to populate the world. There was never a time when God said, but this is what men should do and this is what women should do. The mutuality, the give and take that's implied in that the living and working together seems to me to be central to the kind of person Jesus was. He certainly uh, gave women 
a whole new space in his life with them. I, I just love the stories of Jesus and women. And so um, the scripture with at its center, the story of Jesus and his life here and the way in which he treated women. And what do we say? The first two, uh, the in any case, they were there, the last at the cross and the first at the tomb when he arose. Women had every reason to follow Jesus because of what he did for them. I just, I just think Jesus is, wow, our, our model. And because Jesus is God, it is wonderful to have Jesus as our Savior and Lord and companion day, day by day. Beautiful. So beautiful. Yes. So from creation, how we were created all the way to how Jesus interacted with women in mutuality, it's just consistent all the way through. I would um, underline the same points, um, you know, at creation, Genesis clearly says that um, God created um, uh, man and woman uh, in his image, uh, both of them in the image of God, uh, no difference there. That's in many ways the most profound theological foundation for what we're talking about. And then, uh, I mean, even in the Old Testament, uh, awful uh, male chauvinism in many ways, but here and there, there are uh, women leaders that uh, emerge that are uh, astonishing given that um, uh, culture. But then you come to Jesus uh, and um, Jesus lived in a culture uh, where it was a disgrace for uh, a man to appear with a woman in public. Uh, where um, Jewish leaders said that if you teach your daughter Torah, the first five books of the Bible, you're teaching them lechery. Um, and it was um, impossible for a woman to testify in court uh, because they didn't think uh, she had the brain power to um, uh, get uh, the facts straight. And Jesus um, went about publicly uh, with women uh, the story of a woman washing Jesus' feet in public is just astonishing in its uh, break with uh, the uh, values of the time. But Jesus blessed her and affirmed her. Uh, and uh, even though Jewish men knew that women couldn't get the facts straight, Jesus gave the first resurrection appearance uh, to women. I think that was on purpose to uh, uh, underline his different attitude. And then finally, uh, you know, St. Paul, who says uh, uh, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. That's a radical kind of uh, statement. So those are the some of the central things uh, I would want to underline, and Arbutus uh, already said that. Right, and you actually hit on these two key points, Genesis, the story of creation, and us being created in the image of God of, of all human beings. And then there's this recreation in the person of Christ. Paul says, be clothed in Christ. 
So we're clothed in God's image in Genesis, and then we're clothed again in Jesus Christ. I can't think of a more fantastic way to live one's life. It's an ennobling that we did not earn, but was given to us through God who loves us so much. And Arbutus and Ron, you're both avid readers and writers. <laughs> and Arbutus, I remember when you loved a book so much, I would end up receiving it in the mail. <laughs> and you would say, Mimi, you will love this book. And one that really touched me the most was Mighty Be the Powers, How Sisterhood, Power, and Sex Changed a Nation. The story of the Nobel Peace Prize winner, Lima Gobui, leading the nation of Liberia from dictatorship mm -hmm. to democracy. And, and so tell us about how books have influenced you besides scripture, the books that you have read, um, or perhaps the people you have known who have written books, and how their influence has shaped some of your life views and worldviews today. What's your favorite book besides yeah. the Bible? Yeah, that's, those are good questions, and it will take me a while to thread through and come to that. But uh, I certainly love to read, and I I love I love scripture because it has been the thread that has been throughout my life a guiding principle with Jesus at the very center, and so I've appreciated that. The books that I have enjoyed, oh my, what have I got in there in the living room that I have read and can't think of right now? <laughs> I have trouble thinking of ones in my answer to this question, too. Yeah. Uh -huh. Well, Ron, let's, let's pick up with you and Arbutus will have a, an idea here in a moment. Well, um, you know, I uh, I don't think of uh, immediately of um, many books um, that would come to mind. I I very much was amazed with um, uh, Lema Gobi's whole movement. That uh, was. Um, an astonishing challenge to a dictatorship who was ruthless uh, and um, killed people, uh, tortured them, and yet the women <laughs> dared to challenge him. Um, and um, they held demonstrations for many, many days and eventually um, forced um, him to agree to resign. I mean, it's just an amazing a story of um, a powerful women's movement. Baby John and Pomona are a couple from India, uh, living in a very poor section of India. And, and they come from the lowest class. So yes. The untouchables. Yes. Recently, some people from our church visited them. And so we have the story of that visit. But I wrote the story of their life because it, I guess I wanted to be sure to have her perspective in the story because she's in the background as she's supposed to be in her culture. But if you get to know her, she is an amazing person. And I, I see women like her 
who little by little see the opportunity they have also to work. And so she teaches women to sew and she teaches women. Um, yes, she, they, they've started a number of ministries for women that, that Pomona has led them into. And I, I find the women who are in the background, but who are so gifted even in our country, she stays in the background and her husband is the one who's always supposed to do the speaking. And so Even though she's a lot more fluent. Yeah, yes, yes. So it's women like that who are because of their Christian faith coming out of the shell that they've been under and are flourishing and are doing things with uh, for families and for women. Oh, yes, I really enjoy in other parts of the world, especially seeing women who wouldn't have been able to thrive in the past now are able to do that. I wonder, uh, this woman you mentioned, her faith played such a significant role in her courage. Mona, absolutely, absolutely. Yes, it's her faith in Jesus. She wouldn't have been able to do it on the basis of what her culture would have without it being centered in Christ. So she's breaking some serious glass ceilings. Yes, she is. Quietly, like you said, behind the scenes, but with great force. Yes. Yes. Ron, your books have um, really challenged injustice and opened up much of the sky over the heads of Christians worldwide. Um, what can you say about the books you've written and the impact they've had? Could you pick three titles that really stand out to you? Well, the most obvious is uh, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. Uh, way back in 1967, I was uh, wow. filling in for uh, a little church that was merging with another church. And one, uh, and I was preaching uh, for them on weekends. And one weekend, I decided to um, preach. So I had a little section on global hunger. And then I had a little biblical section. And then the idea of a graduated tithe came to me, the more money you make, the higher percentage you give. Um, and uh, a few years later, I uh, uh, wrote an article called The Graduated Tithe. And, and then I got a contract from University Press to write a little book called The Graduated Tithe. But uh, when I wrote it, uh, like Topsy, it grew. And um, instead of one chapter on the biblical stuff, there were three and a half. And um, I called it Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. See, I think the only time in my life when uh, my publisher never argued at all with the title. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, I, I didn't expect it to, to do that much. And I was utterly astonished with uh, the way that it just kind of exploded in terms of interest. Some people didn't like it at all, but a lot of people did. And it uh, got a lot of attention and... Uh, Eventually, I guess, uh, sold about 500,000 copies. That's not much when you <laughs> compare uh, what some pretty awful novels uh, in the evangelical world do. Uh, well, I can say that book was written before I was born, and it had a huge influence on the direction of my life. So it really has a huge impact still in the Christian world. Wow. <laughs> you know, when I travel these days, well, I don't travel these days, but when, when I still did, uh, uh, before COVID, uh, I would regularly have people say that, um, thank me for the book, and uh, often said that it uh, 
changed their life. I think that's undoubtedly my my favorite book. Um, in some ways, um, uh, the little book "Living Like Jesus" is a kind of summary of what I believe, and uh, uh, I uh, I hope that Arbutus in my tombstone uh, says uh, they tried to live like Jesus. Um, so that book uh, is important. The other one I would mention is um, Good News and Good Works. Uh, it's my attempt to say in a book-length way how evangelism and social action fit together. And uh, for all of my life, I've been passionate uh, about trying to hold those two together. Um, so much of the church goes one way or the other. Uh, it's still a lot of one-sidedness. But, uh, but that book um, shows how um, if we're going to be really biblical, then we have to hold together word and deed, have to hold together um, inviting people to Christ uh, and um, trying to um, shape the uh, whole context of their life so that they can live in a wholesome way. Hmm. I know people who are so moved by the books you have written, Ron, that they will buy cases of it and drive around and visit their friends in more uh, well in, in their neighborhoods and say, this is a book that changed my life. I want you to read and we'll talk about it next week or next month or something like that. And I, nice. I remember one woman on our board, Arbutus, she was um, hadn't really done much reading on faith and social action. And she picked up Ron's book. You might remember Mary and she put it, she couldn't put it down, and she was one of those women who bought a case and said, if it wasn't for me, you'd probably never read this book. Here, I would like you to read it. <laughs> uh, thank her uh, for uh, that promotion. <laughs> <laughs> one of, may, I, may I give one of the uh, parts of my life that in some ways epitomize what I used to do when I was an activist, too? Um, I, I have this picture in my mind of walking down Broad Street, the main street in Philadelphia, with some people carrying a banner on behalf of students in the schools of Philadelphia. Because once my children started going to public school in Philadelphia, that was when I got involved in more activist work citywide. And so we had this banner on behalf of all children deserving good education. And, and hundreds of kids, of people marching. And you were uh, the chair of um, a large organization in the city, Parents Union, that was doing a whole bunch of things. And, uh, and that was just one of the big marches. And I became an activist because my children were in the public school system. And so it was important to us that not just our children, but all children had a good education. And that was one of my passions. <laughs> my favorite story on, on Rich Christians um, is uh, interesting. I uh, got a letter that was sent, she, she wrote to them, sent it to University Press, and they sent it on to me. Uh, and she said, uh, I grew up in a liberal Jewish uh, I think uh, New Jersey home, we cared about peace and justice. Um, and then I went on a religious search and uh, 
uh, got into a number of things, uh, Eastern religion, among other things. And then she said, I met this woman, uh, and I think it's an, a quote, who represented everything I despised in Christianity, <laughs> um, a campus crusade woman. Uh, and uh, she led me to Jesus. I, I tried uh, <laughs> everything uh, that I could to explain uh, what was happening, uh, but nothing worked. I obviously had become a Christian. But then she said uh, it didn't make sense because I thought what my parents said helped me understand about peace and justice was right. But this woman didn't care about those things. Uh, and, um, and then I read your book and uh, it put the two together. Uh, I've never met her, but uh, I hope to have a conversation on the other side of the Jordan someday with her. Wonderful. So what wisdom can you share with those coming behind you in age and growing in faith, moving into leadership? in the wake of the Me Too and Church Too, and the ongoing challenges of race and gender inequality in our world and even in our churches. What is it that you, you know, what wisdom has God put on your heart? And what do you find yourself praying about and thinking about as you see the future unfold? And if you could just give them some of your best wisdom, what would it be? Why don't you start on that one, Ron? I wanted to put together some okay. thoughts myself. I, um, I did a commencement address um, a couple years ago that's now in a collection of my sermons, uh, and it's called Biblical Balance, Biblical Balance. Uh, what I want to say to the next generation is hold together prayer and action, the inward journey of spirituality and the outward journey, evangelism and social action. And in terms of political agenda, a, a biblical uh, balance, uh, that's the most important thing I want to say to people who are 10 and 20 and 40 and 60 years younger uh, than I am. Uh, please uh, stay close to Jesus uh, and close to a biblical balance. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, I'd like to begin with what you just ended with, stay close to Jesus. In, in, in my view, knowing where your foundation is and staying clearly in that foundation where Jesus is the rock. And then having a group of people a small group of people who can support you in that. And they may be in your church, but they may be somewhere else you come together. Um, it may have to be all women for a while. It's very important to have the support of women as you develop, especially if you're in a community that makes men more important than women. So um, that, and, and then as you as you move beyond that not being simply absorbed with the people you're around but then being able to find ways to move outward and serve others so having a strong foundation in in the word first of all and in your relationship with Jesus 
and and then making sure there are, are other women who support what you're doing, especially if there are things in, in the culture around you that put women down. You do need, which is why Christians for Biblical Equality is so important <laughs> um, for us, was for me. And then uh, the next step I wanted to take was, yes, to be sure that you never let yourself as a woman get so involved in household duties that you forget to step out of that role and remember that you have a voice that is needed by your community, by your church, by the world. Right. And why is it so easy to fall into that trap, our views of falling into these very comfortable roles the church and even culture teach? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it begins with just the context you're in. You're, you're the mother. You have to care for the children when they're young. So if you steep, keep stay, if you keep taking care of them, then um, you may forget what you had done before the children that really gave you um, a sense of purpose and meaning that was beyond the household. So you want to be sure that you don't lose track of that. I, I think for me, recognizing what time it was in my life, is this a time to knock on the door and get out there again? Uh, because it's also easy just to stay comfortable once the children are gone to kind of stay in your own cocoon. But that's not going to help you grow and it's not going to uh, be using the other talents you have. Keep an eye on the clock of your life. Ah. <laughs> and keep an eye on what the Lord is doing and where you might join in. Yes, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> we are 82. <laughs> yes, a very beautiful 82, I might add. With years of wisdom to help us all move, keep moving. Exactly. Very good. Keep moving. I certainly don't believe in retirement in the sense of just... Uh, playing golf, golf and going out to eat. Uh, I want to keep working for the Lord. We both want to keep working for the Lord as long as we live. But um, our energy and our opportunities uh, are a lot less as one gets older, and that's okay. Yeah. But I'm not, I don't think one ever stops looking for new ways in which to serve the Lord, given the context one is in. And right now, or it went, as it has been, uh, where we couldn't move, we couldn't uh, visit, I realize there are a number of people that I can make phone calls to who are very much in need of an encouraging phone call. And I uh, need to keep pushing myself in that direction because it's easy for me just to curl up with a good book and to spend most of my time doing that. And so for me to remember that I have responsibilities beyond my husband and me uh, and that, and I think I need to do more of that. What this has encouraged me is to think there are still places where I can serve in very meaningful ways. And the telephone is one of those. 
Beautiful. What about you, Kim? But this has been such a fantastic conversation. Oh, I just love it. I do feel like I'm one. I'm in awe thinking of our Buddhists being encouraged to go to high school, and in my era where most people in college are women, how that's changed, and and thinking of all that Ron has done and what he's written and how that has transformed Christianity and how it reaches the global world. I mean, you just have to say, you know, Ron Sider, who wrote Rich Christians in the Age of Hunger, and everyone knows, and how that has challenged the church to reach out. And then our Buddhist, her encouragement to women to remember that your voice is needed and to keep looking. It's not... It's not, well, I guess I should participate. It's no, it's needed. Get out there and use your voice. So powerful. It, in the um, first edition and, and then all of the others of Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger, I, I say that um, Arbutus uh, is ahead of me in terms of living more simply, and she keeps pulling me along. She is a force of nature. And I have this great memory of Arbutus. We were working in India. Arbutus went off uh, to the market and she picked up some simple fruit and she prepared it in her bedroom. And then she summoned all of us in and said, I have a treat for you. And we all sat there, a mingling of castes, ages, geographies but with one goal in mind, the liberation of women in the name of Jesus. And it was one of the best evenings I've had outside the U.S. In a rich journey to travel beside these two leaders. And my colleague, Kim, has uh, worked and lived in India herself. She has stories to tell you one day. Uh Love to hear them. Yes, just listening to you guys brings up all kinds of stories. And I think, oh, I love you too. (laughs) And we love you, Kim. Yes, indeed. Thank you. Well, shall we end in prayer so our listeners can be blessed by that as well? Christ, we give thanks to you for the gift of technology and the gift of healing in one's life, the gift of memories, the gift of friendships, and most of all, the gift of vocation that you give women and men alike created in your image and recreated in the image of Christ. Lord, for those listening uh, and for our guests and podcast hosts here, we ask that all that we do would bring you glory. Thank you for the life of Arbutus and Ron Sider. And thank you, Lord, for the life you give our listeners. May we do all in your name. Amen. 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 Looking for more information about CBE and our mission for biblical equality? Then please visit cbeinternational.org for more information. And please be sure to tune in each week for new episodes here or wherever else you listen to podcasts.